here. This is WRHDFM, Farmville, Washington, Greenville. 94.3, the game. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Hi, welcome in to this Thursday, May 11th edition of Hoist the Colors. Got an exciting edition of the show for you guys. Big-time win for ECU baseball last night, 13 innings. It looked a little uneasy for a long time offensively. We'll get into that. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook. If you got a comment, question about the game, anything you want to know, drop it, and we'll get to it throughout the show. I'm joined pretty much as always now by Philip Pilkington. He's in studio as well. Later in the program, we're going to catch up with Deshaun Amos, former East Carolina defensive back. He kind of went through each spectrum of ECU football, the good and the bad. We'll talk about it with that. And also, he's now in the CFL. Just got to Toronto, won a great cup last year, so we'll get into that discussion. Deshaun, one of my favorite former Pirates to catch up with, that discussion coming your way around 1220. So East Carolina baseball gets a huge win last night to improve to 35-14 and 14 on the season. They are now... 9-9 and in road contests, and that was a big thing going into this road stretch. They've now won four in a row. Big-time win. Uh, Phillip, we, we said yesterday on the show, expect a bunch of runs to be scored, and we weren't really accurate. That's uh, That just kind of goes to show how clueless we can be sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. I was really thinking it was going to be a higher-scoring game. But the thing is, is the Pirates did attack their pitchers early. I thought or we had... Our plate appearance, I should say, we attacked early in counts. And if you look at a lot of the counts that went deep when the Pirate hitters were at the plate, it's because the pitches started with balls. When they threw first pitch strikes, we went after their pitchers. Unfortunately, we were hitting them right at people. And uh, I thought their pitching staff did a much better job than I originally had thought they were going to do. Yeah, Odie, you know more for really it's it's hitting than it's it's pitching, uh, and it just turned out it was one of those games. And I think too, Cliff Godwin made the point on the post game show ninety four three the game that basically the wind was blowing in. It was a pitcher's day. Usually the wind at Budman Finney Ballpark blows out, so that has kind of inflated some of their numbers in the past. But just finding a way to win to me felt the, the biggest thing about a game like this, and really the last two road games for me, is, yeah, find a way to win is, is crucial, but these are character-building wins. Like, there's a difference between going on the road and winning 9-3, 11-3 at Cincinnati, not playing your best, but still finding the way to win in extra innings when, really, there's so much to play for from a championship perspective and conference, which we, we talked about a lot, but also the hosting perspective, which we'll get into here in a little bit, trying to play your way back into the hosting mix, but when you don't play your best, when you have some adversity, and I want to go through some of the things that happened to ECU in this baseball game, but to me, Phil, find a way to win when things don't look like maybe they're going your way or it kind of seems like your backs are against the wall. That's kind of really where you form your identity as a team. ECU has not had as many of those wins this season as we've seen in the past, but now I think back-to-back days or back-to-back games we're starting to see that formulate, and I think that's going to pay dividends as we head down the stretch. And to kind of build off, you know, you're talking about a character-building win. The fact that you're two outs away from winning the game 
and you let up that home run, and you know, no fault to the Pirate pitching staff who only let up one run in 13 innings, but you let up that run, and you never saw the body language change. I never saw the plate approach of any of the players change, and I never saw the mentality of our pitchers change. They still went right at the ODU hitters. We were still aggressive at the plate, and I think that speaks a lot of it, and a lot about this team. And you know, it's kind of to your point with what happened this over this past weekend. Would that have happened before this past weekend? I don't know. And there's definitely a change in culture here in, in Greenville. On Hoist the Colors on 94.3 the game, basically he felt like the team, you know, some guys had maybe left, but he felt like the team that was there now in the locker room was fully balled in. And to me, you can't have wins like these consistently until you have the right culture, the right mindset from everybody on your team in your locker room. And I think we're starting to see that payoff right now. Let's get into exactly what happened in this game. Again, we'll visit with Deshaun Amos here in about 15, 16 minutes uh, live from Canada. But let's talk first about ECU baseball. They improved to 35 and 14 on the season. Let's discuss the pitching first, Philip. It was a quite a, a performance. We talked about ODU's really insane offensive numbers, 90-plus home runs coming into the game. Of course, they added one, their only run of the game, off Carter Spivey in the ninth. But pitching was phenomenal for ECU. Three hits allowed in 13 innings against one of the best offensive teams in the country. Garrett Saylor was phenomenal as a starter. Three and two-thirds, six strikeouts, no walks. As Saylor's strikeout-to-walk ratio this season has been phenomenal. Uh, Danny Bill came in, got an out to Jake Hunter again. Was incredible on the mound. Three hitless, scoreless innings, four strikeouts, no walks. And then Carter Spivey, yes, he gave the home run, kind of a, a pitch that was hit up into the air the other way. It looked like almost a fly out off the bat, just kept carrying uh, one of the ball, one of the parts of the park that it was not blowing in as far as the wind. So you got to give the ODU hitter credit. But I didn't think Spivey was bad. He didn't have his normal command. Justin Wilcoxon had a huge call stealing. Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman, what can you say about this guy, Philip? I mean, he just continues to deliver. Yes, he gave up a few base runners this time, but still three shutout innings. And him and Spivey able to regroup after allowing that game-time homer. And really, ECU's offense was doing nothing, so they pretty much saved the game for ECU. And when you bring up Schenck, you know, you said he let up a couple base runners. I think it's interesting to see that his last two outings, you look at the one on Sunday, he throws five innings, doesn't let up any base runners. So... He stays consistent. And then you look at this game, he pitched just as well with guys on base in a pressure situation as he did guys not on base in a pressure situation. And he's been getting put in a lot at the beginning of the innings, but I think that that helps Coach say, hey, you know what, I can, this is a guy I can even go to in a situation where we have guys on base. Right now, Danny Bill's been that guy. We saw that um, when he came in in the fourth inning. But now that Schink has also proven that he can do that, this could be big for uh, you know managerial uh, scenarios for Cliff Godwin. But I definitely think all around, like you said, this team hit the ball very well. Uh, or, sorry, um, pitched the ball very well, excuse me, played great defense. You mentioned J-Dub throwing out yet another guy caught stealing. He has been phenomenal back there this year. And just an all-around pretty darn good game, especially when it comes to the defensive side for the Pirates. And again, gets the final three outs to close it out to earn his first save of the season. Uh, again, if you're, we're, we're live on YouTube, Facebook. If you got a comment, question, drop it there. You want to tweet at us, me or Philip will read your comment on the air. You got a question as well. A couple of interesting scenarios last night, Philip, I want to get into. 
and then we'll, of course, kind of group in the 13th inning where the Pirates did break through. But Jacob Starling did not start the game. I heard pregame he was dealing with a back injury, kind of nursing a back deal. I guess it locked up pregame or something like that. But either way, I didn't expect him to play, and then he comes in defensively in a one nothing game. Obviously, Dixon Williams, the freshman, got the start from D.H. Conley, his first career start. He actually had a couple of good at-bats, didn't have much to show for it. But they put in Starling for defense. Then he goes to the plate, and obviously with a back injury, it was pretty evident that they did not want him to swing and torque and do the things uh, to, to possibly re-injure that back. But goes up there and bunts him three times, uh, including on a 3-2 count. So a lot of people, of course, were losing their mind, like, why are we bunting 3-2 with two strikes? And, I, I you know, I'm sure it was injury-related. Look, EC loves to bunt, but I don't think that was a strategic move. I think that was a health move. Uh, but interesting stuff with Starlin, and you kind of hope – that it's nothing long-term. I guess the positive, Phillip, is he was able to play, but just a weird scenario where he was able to bend and play defensively, but I guess not swing the bat offensively. Yeah, that really was. And, you know, when I was happy to see Dixon get his first start, you know, knowing that that was going on with Starling, unfortunately, he had to be at the expense of another player injured. But I can understand where Coach was coming from putting in the defensive sub. I really do think Dixon Williams, in his limited time this year, has played pretty darn good defensively. I think he's going to be a good defensive player moving forward for the Pirates. But obviously Jacob Starling has been the starting second baseman for a, hand for a few years now. And mostly, not that he can't hit the ball, but it's because of his defense. And, yeah, but it was kind of head-scratching when you knew he was going to eventually have to come back up. It wasn't like – correct me if I'm wrong, though, here, Stephen. He did come in. This was not like – in the extra innings, this was in like the sixth inning. Is that when he came in? I think sixth or seventh inning he yeah. came in for defensive purposes. So we knew he was going to get another at bat, which that's kind of where my head scratching was. I guess, you know, Coach Godwin knows that Starling's a pretty good bunter and you hope that he would not get in that 3 2 scenario, but unfortunately he did, and it just kind of seemed like we kind of played that one into the hands of ODU there, kind of giving up a free out just due to the fact that you've got a guy who's out there who's a shell of his normal self. Yeah, I guess it was I, – I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like Cliff had to look at it as, hey, it's a one nothing game. We're going to do everything we can to win this game one nothing. And I guess in a way they kind of did. They just gave up the home run um, more so. You know, I guess you could argue Dixon Williams maybe gets a hit or – hit the home run himself or something to add a little bit more offensively, but they kind of felt it would be a lower-scoring game. They wanted that sure-handed experience at second base. But, uh, yeah, just an interesting scenario. It gives us something to look for this weekend. Is Starlin going to be in the lineup? If he is, is he going to be swinging? And, obviously, if he's swinging, is he going to be 100%? So a lot to look for. And Jacob was playing some of his best ball of the season, had a great weekend at Cincinnati. So uh, looking forward to seeing what, uh, you know, hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully there's nothing serious going forward. All right, another interesting scenario in the 13th. And I've watched a lot of baseball, and I don't know, and I think Cliff Godwin said it for the game, that he's never seen where basically a batted ball just drills the umpire with a guy on base. And apparently by rule, the person on base cannot advance uh, no matter what. So the scenario was it was a tie game, one-to-one. Carter Cunningham was at second base in the 13th inning. Of course, he's the go-ahead run. Nate Christman is at the plate, gets a 3-1 count, smashes a ball up the middle. They had a little bit of a shift on. It was definitely going to get through the middle. It was definitely going to score Cunningham because he had a great break. Uh, and it just drilled the umpire in the leg. Umpire <laughs> goes down like he was shot. Uh, and, unfortunately, it kept the ball in the infield. Cunningham did make it to third. 
Chrisman obviously safe at first, but then he was sent back, and it almost felt like at that point there were two outs. It was still a tie game. That issue wasn't going to be ECU's day, and we'll talk about what happened after that. But man, how crazy was that? I mean, it just felt like you had, you know, you were snake bitten if that ball doesn't make it through the infield and it hits the umpire of all of all people. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say I've never seen an umpire hit before. But I don't think I've ever seen an umpire hit like that before. And usually it's they do a pretty good job getting out of the way. It grazes them. It still the ball still goes into center field and it's only affected by a couple feet by where it gets to the center fielder as he's usually fielding a ground ball anyways. Obviously I've seen the umpires down the line, I think, hit on some line drive balls in foul territory. But I really don't think I had ever seen a play quite like that. And I was thinking the same thing you were thinking there, Steve, and it was like, man, that was the hit. That was the go-ahead hit, and maybe the baseball gods are just not on our side today because this I wouldn't say this team had done everything right, but they had definitely done everything right defensively. They said they had really had a pretty aggressive plate approach, and I didn't really think we had been terrible at the plate, all things considered the fact that we only had one run. And, and then that happened, so it was just... It was so demoralizing for us as fans, but clearly it wasn't demoralizing to the team. So, like I said, we're about to get into it, but uh, obviously they, they kind of fed off that, it seemed like. Yeah, that's the craziest part, and really the biggest takeaway for me is, like, something like that usually happens, and that can cripple your psyche as a team. And you got to give a ton of credit to Riley Johnson for coming up next, going the other way. I think he had two strikes on him pretty early in the count, kind of battled, put up a fight. Uh, one of the biggest at-bats of the season, all things considered. Hits the go-ahead single the other way. Cunningham beats the throw home, gives ECU a 2-1 lead. Of course, Alec Makarevich adds on with a big two-run single. ECU needed the insurance, as we saw in the bottom of the ninth, uh, to go up 4-1 to before Landon Ginn shuts it down. But Raleigh Johnson had the, he had the big double against Cincinnati and then came around to score in extra innings on Sunday. So, you know, this is just this is the type of stuff you need when you you're, you're a baseball team that is trying to find its its best you know path forward in terms of playing its best baseball. And maybe it's not a guy who's an everyday starter, but maybe it's that guy off the bench, you know, that fringe starter type of guy who's going to come in either pinch run, pinch hit, do some things late in the innings. You need a guy like Riley Johnson, and man, he's been clutch the past few games. Obviously, I know he's he's you know been a part time starter. It's not like he's just a bench player. I think he even started. Uh, the, the game uh, last night, but it's just one of those deals where not a household name in terms of a Jacob Jenkins Coward or a Josh Moreland, but just a guy who has continued to put in huge plays all year, defensively, offensively, base running, and kind of goes under the radar. But that was one of the biggest hits of the season, Philip. Yeah, no, I think it definitely was. And it, like you said, it just shows how even, you know, Kiel, he stayed in that moment. And it really is big to have guys like that. And as much as when you see that production, you want him to start. But in a way, he's been so, you know, clutch in so many moments. He kind of seems like he is that pinch hitter for, for East Carolina. You know, he throughout his early in his career, he was always a late defensive sub. It seems like uh, Coach Godwin would always try and put him in about the seventh inning out there in the outfield, and it's kind of rotated who got taken out of the lineup. And now he's not just being used defensively. He's being used in big clutch situations, and he's coming through. And it's it's really been he's very he's been very special to this team. And like you said, probably the biggest hit of the year. Yeah, Riley Johnson also quietly now hitting 307 on the season, uh, OPS over 800. 
Of course, not going to be a lot of power in his bats. Uh, does have some sneaky pop, but also just 14 strikeouts, nine stolen bases. So he's just done, and he's probably their best defensive outfitter. To me, when they have Riley in center field, that's their best defensive alignment. So huge win for East Carolina last night. Again, it was trending towards not being a win. We talked about the RPI situation, how little margin for error East Carolina had going to these last eight regular season games. Last night was the difference between being in the top 20 in the RPI and falling into the lower 20s. East Carolina gets the victory. Of course, anytime you win a road game with the RPI formula, you get that extra bump. The Pirates, as of Thursday morning, sitting at 19 in the RPI, right in that bubble of being a potential host-worthy team. Actually, listen to the D1 Baseball podcast. Of course, those guys do the projections, and they mentioned ECU. The one thing they said was the Pirates have to win in their mind, the conference championship. And, and we've kind of said that all along as well. So a huge series come up this weekend against Memphis. I don't know how much RPI help you're going to get. The good news is you're playing a quote-unquote subpar team at home, so you should be able to win some games. You know, DC will be the favorite going to the series, but still half a game behind Houston. You know, you're battling the RPI, but you're also battling having to win a conference championship. But last night on the road, Philip, 9-9 nine and nine now in road games, and that's a, that's a big metric as as opposed to where it was last week at five and nine, like when the committee sits down and looks at that, that's a huge huge difference and could play a role in, in where ECU is this postseason. I think it will. And the other thing that I think, though, that you kind of mentioned, you're not really a big RPI boost going in this weekend. The unfortunate thing is you lose at home in this RPI, you know, rating. You lose a lot of points. I think it is a must sweep this weekend for East Carolina, but I do think that committee, you know, going back to your point, will say, hey, you know what, this team has proved they can win on the road now. And from what I've understood, and you know, I'm not on the committee, I don't know anyone personally on the committee, but that they do have a slight recency bias when it comes to this thing, because at the end of the day, you aren't the same team that you were in February. You are the team that you are right now. And I think the fact that not only that they're nine and nine on the road now and back to five hundred, but that the wins have come more recently will definitely help them. And then obviously they've got another road opportunity coming up next weekend. And yeah, maybe South Florida is not the best team in the conference, but it's still three games on the road. And if you can go out there and sweep that series, especially the committee definitely has to take a very strong look at you when it comes to that top 16. Uh, Christian Baven on YouTube wants to know how much of an RPI bump you got last night. Yeah, they went up. So, the formula is crazy. You can go on like warrennolan.com and look at the actual points. They went up, I think, 25 points just by winning ODU, which, you know, is three spots or so in the RPI. They went from 22 to 19. But a lot of it is formulated upon who's around ECU, what do they do, what do ECU's opponents do. So if you go to Warren Nolan, click East Carolina's profile, and do what's the impact games profile on the day of the game, you can kind of see every single game that impacts the RPI formula. So, uh, But they moved up three spots last night. Uh, Alex Marion on YouTube, <laughs> we got to talk about this before we take a quick break. Uh, I don't know if you were able to listen to the game on, on the telecast, Philip, but they kept calling Jacob Jenkins Cowart, Jacob Jennings Cowart, the yeah. entire game. Like, how do you how do you do that? Well, what I didn't understand is the play-by-play guy kept getting it wrong, but the color commentator was getting it right. So you think that, like... Even if he like maybe wrote it down wrong in his notes, the color commentator would have nudged him between one of the innings and be like, hey, bud, it's Jenkins. And that clearly never happened because I counted, what, 12, 15 times he messed it I up, mean, and the color commentator didn't miss it a single time. 
Yeah, it was brutal, man. Uh, if you're going to call a game, get the opposing players' names right, and also one of their best players definitely get it right. So yeah. it'd be different if a guy that there. comes all off right. the bench who has not played, you know, but in five games yeah. all year, you know. But yeah, yeah, Jake, Jacob Jennings, coward. Uh, greatest uh, greatest pirate ever. All right, <laughs> let's take a quick break. Let's transition to some football talk. We're going to visit with Deshaun Amos of the CFL, former pirate defensive back for four years from 2013 to 16. We'll catch up with Deshaun on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. It is Thursday, May 11th. We just talked a lot of East Carolina baseball. We're going to now transition, talk some Pirate football, catch up with a former Pirate football player, one of my favorite guys to cover during his time at ECU. He is Deshaun Amos, now with the CFL, the Toronto Argonauts. Deshaun, I believe you just made it up to Toronto, so how are things going uh, for you uh, north of the border? Yeah, man, I just made it up uh, actually two days ago, but Everything's good, man. The weather's great. Uh, getting to see the guys again, uh, getting back in that you know team atmosphere. Um, everything feels good, man. Just just getting ready for camp. So Deshaun Amos from Mid- Midlothian, Virginia. We're gonna talk about your background as far as you know coming to ECU and everything. But I gotta ask, going from you know Virginia up to to Canada, you've been I know in and out of kind of the NFL, CFL over the last handful of years, but you've kind of now established a home in Canada, you know, bounced between Calgary and Toronto. So what was it like adjusting to life north of the border, like kind of long-term? I know you maybe don't spend your entire time uh, over the course of the year up there, but adjusting the time uh, up there when you're in the football season and everything. Oh, man. Uh, you know, at, at first it was it was kind of difficult. You know, it was challenging just, uh, you know, the season starts a lot earlier. So, you know, the weather, of course, up here is a lot different when you get to, you know, the, the – End of the year, you know, it gets a lot colder. Uh, the rules, the size of the field, uh, those things were all, you know, a little challenging when I first got up here. But had a great group of guys, a great group of guys on my team when I first got to Calgary um, that were able to, you know, kind of guide me through those changes and uh, just, you know, help me get accustomed to the game up here, you know, north of the border. So, um, like I said, you know, there's a lot of differences, but once you get it all down packed, it's, it's football once again. We're visiting with Deshaun Amos, former East Carolina defensive back from 2012 through 2016. And Deshaun, Grey Cup championship last year with Toronto. And uh, I believe you had been on a roster with another Grey Cup uh, champion earlier in your career. But this time, obviously, you were a key component of that championship with Toronto. What was it like to get that win over Winnipeg and, and record that uh, Grey Cup title? Oh, man. Um, it was a blessing, man. It's been a blessing uh like you said, to get my second great cup, but this time, you know, like you said, actually being a key component, um, just felt different. You know, it just, it just hit, hit different to actually uh, be out there on the field and, uh, you know, feel like you contributed to getting to that ultimate goal. But, um, man, we earned it. You know, it was a dog fight. Uh, we went in as underdogs. Nobody really thought that we would really get there. Uh, we were a great team on paper since the beginning of the season, and we had our ups and downs, you know. Uh, but we, we faced adversity, and uh, – you know, I think we did what we needed to do, and, and ultimately, you know, we got to that end game, and we stuck it out. Uh, even faced a lot of adversity in that game, you know, with our starting quarterback going out and having Chad Kelly come in and finish the, finish the game for us. Um, it was amazing, though, man. It was, it was an experience, you know, one of those things that you kind of dream of, you know, just winning a professional championship 
uh, title. So, uh, like I said, man, just a big blessing. He played in 17 games last year, career high 49 tackles, four picks, two fumble recoveries, and you know one of the best years of your professional career, no doubt. And I know you you, you got the chance to sign a contract this off season, get a little financial and uh, long term security with Toronto. And what, what did that mean to you, Deshaun? Because I know you've been trying to really settle in on, hey, you've you got these NFL opportunities at times in the off season as well. Uh, and, and you had some 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 runs there as far as being on part of off season rosters and were close to making you know maybe the fifty three a couple of years. But with uh, with the CFL, you kind of have more security. So like, what were those conversations like with your agent in your professional time, trying to figure out, hey, what you know, what is the best move for me, short and long term, and really trying to figure out what you want to do, and now getting that contract with Toronto. Yeah, man. Um, my journey has definitely been. Uh, um. The, the, the road least travel for sure. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't regret any part of it. I thank God for every part of my journey. Um, because I've learned something, uh, about myself and about the game everywhere I've been. Um, but, you know, big shout out to my agent, uh, Christian Kranz. He's, he stuck with me through the ups and the downs, you know, whether I was playing football or, you know, even that time after I, I was released from the Giants and, you know, I was working at a department store. Uh, he stuck with me. He, he was always, you know, there when I needed to call them, giving me opportunities to, you know, find football again. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, you know, just the, the, the journey has been, has been definitely, uh, interesting. But, uh, you know, I found my way up here through the spring league. Um, Calgary was there. They sent me practicing and, you know, right before the first game, um, they offered me a, an invite to their camp. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of other players can, can relate, but, if you're ever out of football, you know, you really love football, um, that next opportunity that you get to play football is, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. It brings something out of you that you didn't know you had. And uh, when I had the opportunity to go to the camp, I, I laid it all out of the line. And I was offered a contract at the time. Uh, still had a, a few opportunities in the NFL with uh, Seattle and with Buffalo. Just being on a neg list and, um, you know, I was trying to wait it out and they were staying in contact, but, uh, once again, man, I just, I just love football, and the opportunity to come north of the border was was waiting on me. And so, um, you know, I just I just took that leap of faith. I had never been out of the country, uh, barely had been off the East Coast. The only time I had been was when we played BYU at ECU. So, um, you know, it was really out of my comfort zone. But you know, once again, man, I'm I'm a, I'm a very uh, religious guy, and I, I just trusted the path that God has set for me. And uh, I felt like there was a reason that Calgary stuck that contract out with me. Um, you know, for majority of the year. So, uh, took that leap of faith, man. And, you know, once I got up there, I say before maybe not even two weeks, I was playing in my first game and, um, you know, they liked me and they gave me their starting job the next year. And, um, I made the most of my opportunity and that was my all-star year. And since then, you know, I've kind of made a name for myself here. And, um, you know, not that I'm, I just ride out that year. You know, I have a chip on my shoulder still because I still feel like, you know, there's a lot more to prove every year. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's just been kind of my, my mindset while being up here is just, you know, prove that I am who I am and um, that I belong to be here. And, um, and yeah, man, like I, have a, I have a staff that believe in me. And, uh, you know, as you can see, like you said, with the contract extension, um, you know, just, just you know, like I said, that was, that was really all I needed, you know, being able to come, come to terms on that. Um, this is my first multi-year deal. You know, past my rookie uh, rookie deal up here. So, like you said, man, finding a home here in Toronto. It's a great city, great people, great staff, great team. 
um, it's really a dream come true, man, just to be able to, like you said, be able to settle in for the first time in my career and actually know, like, you know, I'm somewhere where I'm wanted. Risen with Deshaun Amos. And Deshaun, you spent, like you said, a lot of time with the New York Giants, also uh, with the Green Bay Packers during the COVID year. Like, what's what, what's the biggest difference, you know, outside of the rules, uh, you know, going from, like, NFL to, to CFL? And, you know, is, uh, is it that big of a difference as far as athleticism and speed? Or, you know, is the CFL game, in your mind, underrated? Like, what's the biggest difference to you? Um, I don't think it's talent. Uh, it's not talent. I would say maybe the consistency. Um, I think, you know, being in, being in the NFL and being on those fields and, uh, you have that high level of talent, but it's a, just, just a little more consistent, you know? Um, you, you're seeing it every play. Um, here, it's not like it's a big drop off, but you just don't see it every play. You know, there may be some plays off where you're kind of like, okay, I kind of see the difference. And um, that also comes from the game that we play. You know, it's, it's more fast pace up north. Um, you know, you have three downs instead of four, so there's a lot of change of possessions. Uh, the field is bigger. You know, they're going to throw the ball more. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I think both are challenging. Both are a high level of football, uh, most definitely. Um, you may... In, in certain cases, uh, not every team, but in certain teams, you may see a little bit, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say professionalism, but, um, you know, organization uh, may come down to it a few times with, you know, with, with certain teams. But all in all, though, man, the CFL is it's a great league. Um, it's been established for, I want to say, it's the, it's, it's the, this league has been established longer than the NFL. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's great football. You have a lot of American talent that comes up here. Oh, you know, ex NFL talent, and then younger guys that just didn't get the opportunity to have that talent, and are kind of using this as a stepping stone. Um, but for me, you know, like I said, my path is different. So, um, you know, I've been in those NFL locker rooms, and that just didn't work out for me. And this was an opportunity for me to play high level football, compete at a high level, um, play the game that I love, and still make a living out of. It. Risen with Deshaun Amos and Deshaun, let's talk about your time at East Carolina. We ran into each other at spring practice, and uh, it was awesome to, to talk to you then and kind of see the, the pride on, on your face about the program getting back to, to where it should be. And, and you kind of experienced it all during your time, man. 2012 to 2016, like you went through the highs and lows uh, of being a pirate football player. So what, what, what does it mean to kind of see the program get back to to where it should be, you know, you were a player, a key player during this thing when it was on a good note, and um, you know what did it mean to get back to spring practice, see some of the guys, and, and and just get back around pirate football. Oh man, it's it's a great feeling. Like you said, my you know my little time there, uh, you know, just felt like old times again, and it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, you know, and I know, it's almost one of those things where you just had to be there, you know, back in the day when it was, when it was at this level. Um, to really feel that it's headed back in that direction or is, you know, is back at that state now. Um, I think Mike Houston is doing a great job with those guys. And, um, you know, he, he's definitely turned the program back around to, you know, how rough had it is. So, um, like I said, man, just being an alumni and, and knowing that the work that those guys put in, you know, because it's not, it hasn't been a lack of work. You know, I think the guys have been working since then to get the program back to where it is now. Um, but just to see that hard work pay off, man, and see the guys get what they deserve. You know, I think we spoke about it, even with the NIL deals and things like that. You know, that's all things that back in the day, you know, we were we were kind of fighting for a little bit. So 
see those guys now, like I said, get back to bowl games, winning the bowl games, or not winning, dominating the bowl game, um, you know, and just being a force to reckon with. You know, guys aren't overlooking ECU anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's back to that football program that everybody used to see back in the day. That's a powerhouse that you got to bring your A game or else, you know, we'll take the game and run with it. So, um, like I said, man, great feeling. I'm, I'm happy for those guys. I'm happy for the staff. And, um, you know, just hoping that they continue to, you know, stay on the rise. I remember early in your career when you came in, Deshaun, you, you registered your initial year on campus. But I remember Rick Smith talking about this Deshaun Amos kid who was redshirting but could really run, had good size, uh, and you made an impact early in your career, continued to do so throughout your time at ECU. But, you know, what what ultimately led you to East Carolina High School? You know, what what made the difference to get you down to Greenville to play college ball? Oh, man. Um, that's another part of my journey, but – um, actually in high school, I was, I was a huge baseball kid. Um, uh, if you ask me, I thought I was going to UVA to play baseball or scholarship and play center field. Um, some things happened to where, um, my sources of baseball were kind of, um, swept from up under me. And, you know, I, I'd always loved football. I played my freshman year, but I played, you know, on the varsity team. Didn't really get that much time. Enough to letter, but, you know, nothing that really made a big impact. Sophomore year, I cut my sports down to just basketball and baseball because basketball is my first sport and baseball is my best sport. Um, and then I missed it so much that my junior year, I begged my parents to play football again. Halfway through the season, I separate my shoulder. So that was that, and it was my throwing arm. So parents were kind of pissed about that um, with baseball going on. And then, like I said, baseball was swept from up underneath me, and all I had was football for my senior year of high school. And so um, – it's one of those things, man, where, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to my, my coach, Coach Hall, and the staff that we have at Manchester High School. Um, they believed in me. You know, they always wanted me to be there. It was just a matter of, you know, whether I was going to make the decision or not. And, um, that year that I – my senior year was actually the first year they started allowing kids to play both sides, um, offense and defense. And um, they seen something in me, in me as a kick returner and a punt returner. And so they gave me the keys. Um, they gave me the green light to do whatever I felt like I – you know, I could do, and so I was playing offense, defense, and returning both punts and kicks, and I just knew every opportunity, you know, between those white lines was, you know, my opportunity to, to further my education and, and continue to play sports, and so um, that's where I really learned that I love football, you know, um, when I had that opportunity my senior year, and I gave it all I had, and um, football season was over. It was maybe a couple weeks before the banquet uh, of ECU, and Coach Mitchell at the time, he came, and I had no idea he was coming, um, but we we spoke. We had a great conversation, and he actually offered me uh, the scholarship right there in, in the school, and I didn't even know. I, I didn't know what it was like to get an, an official offer. And so when he offered me, I'm like, hey, you know, yeah, I'll check the school out, and, you know, this, that, and the third, and he kind of corrected me, like, no, hey, you know, we're, we're offering you a scholarship. And, man, I, I lit up, you know, because it's just the hard work paid off for me. Um, and I knew, I knew nothing about East Carolina, you know, being from Virginia. I knew nothing about the school and I did my research and I looked up players that were there and I took my official. And, um, I think my parents made the decision for me before I could after they met rough, but, um, it was a no brainer, man. It was a no brainer. The staff they had, their environment, um, the visit went great. The guys that were there, even the guys that were leaving, you know, like Dominique Davis and those guys that were leaving, um, you just felt that culture. It felt like home for me. And so, like I said, it was a no-brainer. And 
Um, you know, I had a few other offers come in before I could officially, you know, commit to ECU, but, um, you know, ECU didn't leave any room for me to even take another visit. They didn't leave any room for me to second guess or even venture out. Um, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I knew that's where I needed to be. And so, uh, like I said, man, I made a decision. And after that, it was, it was all history. You played in 49 games over your time at ECU with 116 tackles, uh, a couple sacks, a certain pick six that I remember well, uh, a couple fumble rec- recoveries as well. Deshaun, is there a you know a play or you know a series of games that really stand out in your mind if you ever like reminisce or get time to reminisce? And we had Shane Carden on earlier this week and went down memory lane a little bit with him. But um, as you look back at your time, are there any games or plays you really like still stick with you to this day? Um, I mean, I think for, for my career, it's kind of, kind of hard not to go with the, the two cliche answers, right? Of course, the, the interception, um, uh, versus Tulsa. Uh, you know, that was just an, an opportunity. That was a young Deshaun Amos that just, you know, was getting a shot at, at playing corner. You know, at the time I was, it was my first year. So I was playing nickel and special teams. I was my way on the field and they gave me an opportunity to play corner and kind of develop me there at that position and, Got the balls in my got the ball in my hand and seen green and so you know I just I just I went for it um, you know the older Deshaun would have took a knee and you know went out the more professional professional way but um, you know that play ended up being something that kind of sparked my career here at ECU um, and so you know I'd, I'd be wrong if I didn't say that was a highlight for me um, at ECU and then game wise is the obvious seventy to forty one. Uh, versus USC, man, it's, you know, it's a rival. The crowd was, it was a packed game. The crowd was crazy. Atmosphere was crazy. Everybody remembers the sky turning purple. You know, it was just one of those moments in football where it's like, man, you know, this is why you play the sport. You know, this is what you've been working for. This is something that you dream of as a kid. And so um, that game, by far, the best game that I had at ECU. He is Deshaun Amos. Deshaun, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you taking some time, especially getting up to Canada. I know you're busy probably trying to get settled in and everything, man. But uh, this was fun. Always great to talk with you. You've always been one of my favorite interviews. You know, we were starting Hoist the Colors back when you were kind of getting your career going as well. So I appreciate everything, man. I'm sure we'll have you on down the road as well. Yes, man. I appreciate y'all having me as well, man. Always got love for you guys. Anytime you you need me, uh, you know, I'm here. I'm going to call away. He is Deshaun Amos. Best of luck in Canada this year, Deshaun. We'll catch up with you down the road. Uh, on the other side, on Hoist the Colors, we're going to go back to some baseball talk. We also briefly touched on Mike Oresco's comment about the Power Five, Group of Five. We may get into that, more of that discussion with Philip Pilkington on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Three, the game. All right, welcome back into the program. Just had an awesome conversation with Deshaun Amos, and you know it was great to see him earlier this spring, out of spring practice. Uh, great pirate, great former player who's now making it professionally. So always good to catch up with guys like that, and we'll have him on the show uh, later this year, hopefully. Hopefully, wins another Grey Cup up in uh, Canada. We'll get him back on. But awesome to see him making it. We'll also visit with another former Pirate tomorrow on Friday's show. We're scheduled to have 
David Garrard, former Pirate great, of course, a former Pro Bowl quarterback with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm looking forward to catching up with DG tomorrow on Friday's edition before the weekend. Uh, Philip Pilkington rejoins us. He's in the Interbanks Media Studio. We talked baseball earlier, and we talked some baseball yesterday. We talked about the projections, Philip, I believe it was, on Wednesday's show from Baseball America. I think they had ECU going to South Carolina. Yesterday after the show, D1 Baseball released its latest projections, and they have the Pirates going to Duke in the Durham Regional as the two-seed UNCW, as the three, Loyola Marymount, as the four. I'm still confused on, is Duke even going to be able to host? Because the Durham Bulls have a home series that weekend. Their own campus stadium is a joke. But either way, I think that's a much more favorable draw than South Carolina, like we talked about yesterday. It is a much more favorable draw. As we mentioned, you know, kind of with South Carolina yesterday, is a lot of people do kind of almost have them as one of the teams, along with Florida and then obviously LSU, to win the national championship. And they've been playing SEC baseball week in and week out. So I think just by that default, not that the ACC uh, isn't a good league, but I think by default, yeah, you would rather go to Duke. And also on the fact that you'd rather go to Duke because it's a lot shorter drive for a lot of Pirate fans. And going on to the thing, I guess, yeah, it would probably be in their on-campus stadium, which, as you mentioned, is a dump, but uh, not to put words in anyone's mouth, but I actually asked Coach O about it earlier this season when we were talking about Campbell possibly hosting, and he said that the committee used to really you know, shun certain teams from hosting due to lack of facilities, but it sounds like, as well as Coach O believes, they're not going to do that anymore, which I don't agree with. I mean, looking at their press box, it's atrocious. We barely had enough seats for every Everybody last year here, I don't know how they're going to get all that national media in there. It only seats 2,000 people. I mean, what a joke of a place to host a regional. They shouldn't be allowed to host, and neither should Campbell. I'm sorry, but they can be the one seed. They can host at a local minor league park, but at their own stadium, I mean, this is terrible. Yeah, so I've covered one game at Duke. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 18 or 19 as far as their own campus stadium. And uh, we were the – there was only like two or three media members there. And we uh, we had to sit on the concourse area right behind home plate because there was no room in the press box. So there's, I don't know, like they're going to have to totally redo that entire thing, whether ECU ends up there or not. But if somehow ECU goes there as a two seed, like there's going to be an insane demand for tickets. I don't even know a single Duke baseball fan. I'm sure there's a few parents, uh, players out there uh, that will demand tickets on Duke's side. Maybe there's a few casual Duke baseball fans, but like anytime ECU has played Duke, it's all ECU fans or 95% ECU fans. So we'll see if, if that scenario ends up playing out. I think ECU can have a home field advantage even on the road. Uh, but, you know, I look at these hosts right now, Philip, and, you know, I, I know we got to get another break here in, in a minute, but like I feel like ECU is right on that pecking order. You look at the RPI, Pirates 19 in the RPI, and. There are some teams right around them, like West Virginia's 18, Oklahoma State 21. Those two teams are projected to be hosts right now, uh, Connecticut at 16. So I feel like ECU is, is certainly back within the mix, and now it's just a matter of can they keep moving up with the schedule ahead. We talked about it. As far as hosting, this weekend's a must-sweep, I believe. 
I think it definitely is. I mean, I, you know, and you mentioned kind of what the D1 baseball guys are talking about. We're actually going to have Aaron Fitt on tomorrow on Patrick's show to talk about this a little more in depth. But they probably are going to win the conference tournament, probably going to sweep each of these next two weekends, unfortunately. And the good thing is some of the teams you named are going to have to play each other. You know, Oklahoma State and West Virginia, for example, are in the same conference. So uh, somebody's got to lose, and maybe that is how the uh, Pirates can benefit from other struggles. All right, let's get our final break in, and then we'll come back and wrap up today's program. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Back into the program, Thursday, May 11th, wrapping up this edition of Hoist the Colors. Again, had an awesome conversation with Deshaun Amos earlier. We recapped. The big 13-inning win over ODU, what it means going forward for the Pirates, and so much more earlier in the program. So check out the archive. Again, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're on YouTube. You can watch the replay there on Facebook. Pretty much everywhere you can find a radio show or podcast. We got you covered on 94.3 The Game. So check all that out if you missed any of the show, driving around today or listening online. Um, Philip, so we're having David Garrard in tomorrow, and I know you're you're younger than me. Do you remember? I, I know you don't remember David Garrard at ECU because you were too young. Do you remember any of his time in the NFL with the Jaguars? He played from 2002 to 2010 with the Jags. Also had short stints with the Dolphins and Jets as a backup. But um, do you remember the beer truck? It's what he was known in college because he used to just run over guys. He basically ran the option, but had a cannon for an arm. You remember anything about DG? Yeah, no, I definitely uh, remember in the NFL, like I said, a little too young to remember him in college, but one of my first true memories inside what was then Erickson Stadium was the week one game in 2003, excuse me, between the Panthers and the Jaguars when the Panthers came back and Ricky Prohl, father of former Pirate Blake Prohl, caught a touchdown pass on the last play of the game to beat Gerard and the Jaguars. So I do remember that, but also, yeah, I mean, I remember him as, you know, when I was a child, like you said, he was the uh, quarterback for Jacksonville, really for my first about five to six years of watching NFL football. So I do remember a lot about him. Like I said, he was he was a big quarterback and liked to run guys over. That was something that was not as common in the league back in those days. So uh, that's definitely kind of what I remember him for. Yeah, I'm selfishly excited to do the interview because I've never interviewed David Garrard. I, I grew up watching him and obviously watched him in the NFL. Um, I remember going to a Broncos-Jaguars game when I was a kid, and Byron Leftwich was the starting quarterback, but people on the streets had put Garrard in T-shirts because they wanted David Garrard to play over Byron Leftwich. Of course, that eventually happened. David Garrard ended up being the much better quarterback, had a huge playoff win at Pittsburgh, I remember in the wild card game one year, uh, drove down Jacksonville for a game-winning field goal. So excited to catch up with DG. And so you guys tomorrow will have Aaron Fitt, correct, on the Patrick Johnson show? That is correct. Okay, well, y'all, y'all can ask him about the hosting. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of it. That and uh, I guess uh, we got to figure out if those uh, uh, jokers from down the road in Raleigh are even going to get in the tournament. Yeah, so y'all will have a lot to talk about, so check that out, Patrick Johnson. So that will lead into the opening pitch, Memphis-ECU, again, three-game series uh, starting at 6 o'clock. The Patrick Johnson show starts at 5 o'clock on Friday. Of course, you can hear it tonight as well uh, on the on 94.3, the game. So this has been fun. Appreciate it again, Deshaun Amos, for hopping on and joining 
the program or continue to implement former Pirate athletes along with David Garrard, of course, in uh, tomorrow's show and then in the weeks to come. Next week, we got Michael Schwartz and Kim McNeil. Basketball. Talk a lot of hoops next week. Today, by the way, deadline for the transfer portal. Keep your eye on that for basketball. All right, let's get out of here. This has been Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.